Coronavirus dominates our headlines. Coronavirus dominates our city, dominates your city, wherever that may be. And as we hear about peak numbers, there's a question of what that means. Are we talking about peak numbers of those who are going to die or peak numbers of those who are going to be infected? And as we talk about gearing up for this surge, whether or not hospitals are going to be overwhelmed, what does that mean for what comes next? The Surgeon General, Jerome Adams, joins us right now. Of course, has a long history with the state of Indiana and has been on the very front lines and part of the White House task force dealing with coronavirus. And, sir, it's good to have you on the show. Appreciate you taking the time to be with us. Um, I wanted to start with the very concept of misinformation uh, because this seems to be part of a lot of different conversations that come from the task force and, and a lot of responses uh, to the press. Uh, and as we and myself and, and your staff have been talking, one of the things you were looking uh, to clear up. Now, I do have a host of questions for you, but as you see it, sir, what is the largest piece of misinformation you see in the United States right now regarding coronavirus? Well, I think the largest piece of misinformation is still among the general public and a feeling that they can't get this disease. Important to know that we can talk about treatments, we can talk about testing, we can talk about masks, but the most effective way to prevent the spread of coronavirus is by social distancing, by staying six feet away from each other. And you all heard me say last week, I tweeted and I said it on several news stations, Indianapolis is an emerging hotspot. I said that not because Indianapolis is alone. There are emerging hotspots all over the country, but because Indianapolis is my home. It's my home, and I, my family is actually still in Indiana. I still have my cold season tickets and was talking with uh, Mr. Ursley last week um, back and forth. I can't wait to get back to St. Elmo's and get a steak uh, in the fall when, uh, before Colts game. But uh, I'm hearing from people back home that people there still aren't taking this seriously on the ground level and doing their part. Governor Holcomb was one of the first governors to do a shelter in place based on the data. The State Department of Health works well with Dr. Kane. Dr. Box and Dr. Kane are good friends, and you've got a great team there, literally a team that went through the Ebola fires, but it's still going to require the people on the ground level really staying at home, not interacting with each other for the next 30 days to stop the spread. Now, shelter in place is different than than a stay at home uh, order, uh, I, I believe. But when we talk about uh, st stay at home, uh, you'll see people like the mayor of Chicago, Lori Lightfoot, uh, talk about you shouldn't even be outside going for a, a, a run. That staying outside, in her words, and I quote here, was for a brief respite. Those are exact words. You've seen cities here in Indiana where they say you shouldn't be able to play tennis at the local high school. Questions about whether or not people should be out at a farmer's market. So when we talk about these things, what, as you see it, what is acceptable and what isn't? Well, that is a great question, and the most honest answer I can give you is it depends. Uh, I've been, I love Chicago. Uh, you can't go out for a run in Chicago and be six feet away from the nearest person if you live in downtown. So I don't blame the mayor for saying that in downtown Chicago, but I lived in Fishers. I could go out for a 10-mile run or bike ride in Fishers and never get within 12 feet of the nearest person on, on a most any day. And so you have to figure out 
what is the most intelligent thing for you? And as a policymaker, what's the most intelligent thing for your community to recommend to make sure people are staying six feet away from each other and slowing the spread? But you brought up an important point. We want people to understand that uh, we don't want more people to be harmed from disconnection than from coronavirus. Most people are actually going to recover from coronavirus. 80% of people have mild symptoms, 98 to 99% of people fully recover. But we want you to still be able to go outside, exercise. Um, you can do push-ups and air squats. I did 100 push-ups and 100 air squats when I got up this morning inside the house. Well, you see, now you're just your bragging, neighbors. sir. You can still get blood. Pardon? See, when you're talking about air squats and push-ups, you're just bragging at that, at that stage of the game. Talking to the well, Surgeon General. That you can do inside the house. You, 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 you still can stay healthy. You can still can eat right. It's a great time to read a book while you're at home. Talking to the Surgeon General, uh, Jerome Adams joins us right now. Um, this idea of peak, sir, we're hearing, of course, and one of the things the president has gotten, uh, they talk about his tone and, and dire on, if, if you will, is that the next two weeks are going to be something else, that this is where it's going to be most tragic. And you hear Governor Eric Holcomb here, uh, uh, governors uh, all over the, the, the country, talk about uh, the very idea of preparing for this surge. Flattening the curve has always been about not overwhelming healthcare workers. But when you discuss surge, or as you see it, are, is the surge the amount of people who need to be in a hospital because they're dealing with very serious uh, uh, ramifications of coronavirus? Or is the surge the number of people who are going to be infected with coronavirus? That is a great question. There's infected, there's hospitalized, there's needs of ventilator, and then there's people who die. To the individual, they care about, am I going to die? But when we talk about flattening the curve, we're talking about the number of people who need to be hospitalized or need a ventilator because there is a limited number of hospital beds. There is a limited and finite number of ventilators. And we want to make sure we don't get a big jump up in cases that overwhelms that capacity because we want to be able to take care of everyone who needs to be taken care of, get them through to the other side of their infection. And the best way we can do that, the best way to not run out of ventilators is to make sure not so many people need to be on a ventilator. And that's by staying at home and stopping the spread. Uh, we're going to make sure we can do everything. We're doing everything we can from the federal perspective and working with Governor Holcomb on the state perspective to increase capacity. But you can't outsupply runaway demand. And the demand is determined by people's cooperation with these mitigation efforts staying at home. I wanted to, if I could, sir, bring you back to something you mentioned earlier, a conversation about Indianapolis. You made a lot of news uh, here when you brought Indianapolis into a conversation of hotspots and, and the Midwest. Uh, Eric Berman is the chief political correspondent with Network Indiana. I work with him uh, regularly, and he had had a question uh, that he sent in on, on this subject. Let me, let me play this for you if I can. Absolutely. Hi, Dr. Adams. Good morning. Uh, you've called Indianapolis an emerging hotspot. Is that just based on the raw numbers, which are large and getting larger, but sort of steadily larger? Or is there something else that you're seeing in the data that makes India cause for concern? And that is a great question. So when you look at the entire country, the curves are looking the same in different communities. People are at just at different points on their curve. And when I made that statement, it was based on two things. Number one, Indianapolis's curve was just starting to bend upwards. And I wanted to make sure people in my home state knew that, hey, it's go time. And to Governor Holcomb's credit, that is when he clamped down and said, we are going to do this in a way that other governors were lagging 
around the country to do. The other thing is, is, as I said earlier, this is my hometown. You all are my people. And I want to make sure everyone there understands that it really is serious at this point and that everyone needs to cooperate so that more people don't die so that we don't overcome our health, overwhelm our health care system. system. So part I, of it was based on the data. Part of it was based on the fact that this is my home, and I'm always going to talk about Indianapolis no matter where I am. I don't think, sir, that the people here or, or anywhere across the Midwest don't take it as seriously. Talking to the Surgeon General, Jerome Adams, right now. Tony Katz, great to be with you. Uh, it's that sometimes the data or the numbers get a little peculiar. When we talk about the people who are, you know, there are people who get infected, but they're asymptomatic. There are people who get infected, but it's, it's very, very mild. There are people who will tell you anecdotally that they had the worst flu ever, and now they're convinced it's coronavirus, but now they're fine. And then we hear about who where are these actual death rates affecting people can you give us the latest data who is coronavirus really and truly uh, uh, affecting and and at what age groups and maybe what sexes that's happening in a great question so our data is actually running very similar to italy's data and we see a precipitous increase in complications from coronavirus remember 80 percent of people have a mild illness like a cold, like a bad cold or a flu the complications go up precipitously when you hit age 65 and when you have uh, comorbidities. Lung disease, heart disease, and diabetes are the big three. So that's who we're most concerned about. Young people uh, don't tend to get sick, but we see in the United States that more young people than in other countries are getting uh, complications and ending up on ventilators. We still don't know why. Um, it may be because the United States in general it's not as healthy as it could be, so more people have underlying disease. It could be because a quarter of our young people report having used an e-cigarette in the last 30 days, and so a lot of them have been inhaling things into their lungs, which can cause inflammation and set them up for more disease when they're infected with coronavirus. But I want young people to know you are not immune. Anyone can get coronavirus, and anyone can spread coronavirus. And quite frankly, uh, I would feel worse if I actually gave coronavirus to my mother or my father and they died than if I actually got it and ended up on a ventilator. And so you don't want to get it and put yourself at risk because you don't want to hurt yourself, but you also want to be respectful of your neighbors, your loved ones, and not spread it to them. And that's why people need to stay at home. I, I, I don't think anybody wants to spread anything. I certainly don't think they want to spread it uh, to family members. Uh, but these social distancing uh, requirements, or if you will, guidelines, as they've been put out, it was 15 days to slow the spread. Now it's 30 days to slow the spread, the 30 uh, additional days. Uh, and, of course, the question was asked uh, uh, regarding President Trump, did it take a lot of convincing to get him to extend it another 30 days? You were part of those conversations. Was the president, did he look at the data and say, okay, let's go? Did he do it begrudgingly? Did he he say it like this is going to hurt the economy, but we have to do it. How did that conversation happen? That is a great question. And one of the things that uh, love him or hate him, the president wants data and then he wants to act on that data. And these are complicated policy uh, situations. We talk about the social determinants of health all the time. We know that if you give someone a choice between losing their job or getting coronavirus, a lot of them are going to say, I'd rather get coronavirus. We want to make sure people can't People don't um, lose their jobs, lose their houses, lose their ability to provide for their families based on doing the right thing to stop the spread of the disease, which is why the bill, the rescue bill that was passed, the $2 trillion bill, was so important because it provided unemployment insurance. It provided uh, checks for families. It provided uh, food and nutritional assistance. And so what happened was initially in the 15 days, uh, we said, 
okay, let's lean into this for 15 days and see where the data takes us. And we saw that New York took off and became the epicenter of the world, and cases from New York spread all over the country. So at the end of that, we sat down in front of the president and said, look, here's what the numbers show. 100,000 to 200,000 people could die if the whole country doesn't take this uh, more seriously and start to really uh, lean into these aggressive mitigation efforts uh, despite the economic pain. And the president said, okay, let's extend it for another 30 days. He was optimistic. And he put that hope out there originally when he when he said from an inspirational point of view, maybe by Easter. But he also listened to the data that we gave him to his credit. And again, love him or hate him. That is the reality. We put the data in front of him and he made the right decision. It's also important to know that uh, we had difficulty getting data out of China initially. And so uh, once we had the data, we responded to the data. And that's when the initial 15 days came out uh, right at the beginning of New York's peak. We just need everyone else to now learn the lessons from New York and the way that uh, Indiana seems to have and be really aggressive for the next 30 days. Sir, you bring up China. The vice president, Mike Pence, talking about China the other day on CNN when asked the question by Wolf Blitzer, uh, the vice president said as follows. Well, the, the, the reality is that uh, we could have been better off if China had been more forthcoming. So to that, um, and this lack of clarity from, from, from China, uh, has the United States been hurt by China's, uh, for lack of a better word, deceit on the actual numbers and cases of those who have been infected and those who have died on coronavirus, of coronavirus? Well, without, without getting political, I will say from a scientific point of view, the more data we have and the better data we have, the more informed our choices will be. And so when we don't get data from places like China as quickly as we would like, that hurts our ability to respond. You also have to remember, and this is not political, this is a fact, we offered help to China from our Centers for Disease Control multiple times, and it took them several weeks, I believe over a month, before they actually finally let our people come in and help. And if we've been able to help stop the spread of disease in China, there's a chance it wouldn't have come over here, similar to when we sent help to Africa to help deal with Ebola so the cases wouldn't come over here. So in two ways, the fact that China uh, seems to have not been receptive to a bidirectional flow of information between them, them and, and the United States did hurt our ability to be able to respond as quickly and as effectively to this virus. But where we are now is that it's spread across the United States. We've all got to do our part to stop the spread. Well, I've still got just a couple of minutes left with you. The Surgeon General, Jerome Adams, joins us right now. Uh, let me get back to some of the misinformation things that are out there, questions that I get asked a, a, a lot. Other people get asked, uh, in addition to uh, mornings on here at WIBC in Indianapolis, I have a syndicated midday show. One of our affiliates is KFOR Radio uh, in Lincoln, Nebraska. Carol Turner, one of the hosts of the morning show. This is Carol Turner from KFOR Radio in Lincoln, Nebraska. While it's been suggested that over-the-counter medications can help alleviate the discomfort of coronavirus, is it true that ibuprofen should not be administered? We are learning more and more about this virus every day, and that is a great question. There are some people out there that suggest in certain situations ibuprofen can worsen your outcomes. The, the best advice I can give you is to talk to your health care provider if you're having symptoms. Um, and, uh, and if you're on ibuprofen, I wouldn't stop taking ibuprofen because of those concerns because you might do more harm than good. 
but talk to your healthcare provider to get the best possible advice for, for you because it's going to be different in every person. The other one, sir, is about masks. You sent out the tweet. It was from your account that people, uh, the masks aren't going to help you, and they're needed for, for people who are on the, on the front lines. That's my paraphrase of that part, uh, those, those first responders. And most recently, the CDC is considering recommending the general public wear face coverings in public. This from the Washington Post just the other day. With all due respect, sir, should I be wearing a mask or not? Well, that's a great question, and thank you for the chance to clarify that for your listeners. Originally, the CDC, the World Health Organization, and my office all recommended the pub against the general public wearing masks because we looked at the, the best available information at the time, and the information didn't suggest and still doesn't suggest that you wearing a mask, Tony, will prevent you from catching the disease from others in a meaningful way. But there was real concern that people improperly wearing masks can actually touch their face more often. Um, if they don't wash their hands beforehand, they can actually increase their chance of getting a disease that can be transferred from other surfaces. So that was the original recommendation. What's changed? Well, we've learned that coronavirus can be spread more and more by people who are asymptomatic, people who don't have symptoms. And for, and for that reason, we have asked the CDC to look at whether or not we should change our recommendations uh, regarding mask wearing, not so that you, Tony, are protected by wearing a mask, um, but so that you don't spread it to others when you go out. And so we're looking at those recommendations and trying to figure out if and when it's appropriate to, uh, to tell people to wear masks so that they prevent the spread, prevent the transmission, not so that they don't catch the disease. So the two things we said were not um, incongruous. It was just confusing for folks to understand the difference between catching the disease and transmitting the disease. But here's what's important for folks. Number one, if you are going to wear a face covering, wash your hands first so you don't Use dirty hands to put on a face covering. Number two, don't touch your face while you're wearing it. Number three, you don't need an N95 mask. Those are the cone-shaped ones for healthcare professionals because if you use it, they're not going to be available for your healthcare workers to take care of you if and when you get sick. And number three, it's not a substitute for social distancing. So it doesn't mean I've got a mask, now I can go out and play tennis because guess what? That ball still goes back and forth between multiple people and can still transfer coronavirus. Social distancing is still the most important thing that we can do. And so I hope that clarifies it for people with masks. If you're going to wear a face covering, wear it correctly. Don't use an N95 and understand that you're wearing it to protect other people from you, not to protect you from other people. The Surgeon General Jerome Adams on the line. And when you do come back to Indianapolis and you want to enjoy that uh, steak at St. Elmo's or you want to head over uh, to Lincoln and go to the single barrel and, and get yourself a, a steak, um, when is that going to be, sir? When does the Surgeon General feel like he can fly out to Indianapolis, get in an Uber, and head to St. Elmo's in downtown Indianapolis and enjoy himself a steak with Tony Katz and other friends? Well, I hope that uh, when I come back, I don't have to take an Uber, that you'll come pick me up, Tony, from the airport. Oh, but, wow. uh, but that said, that said, we know that from Italy, from Washington, the state of Washington, from California, that about, about two to three weeks from when you really start to lean into aggressive mitigation efforts, you see the curve level off and you see it start to come down. And so it's important for people to know that there is a light at the end of the tunnel. There was a reason we said 30 days. We hope that if people do the right things, and Indiana did the right things, that by the end of April, we'll start to see cases go down, and then we'll have to come up with a plan 
for how we start to reopen government. And that's going to depend on testing so that we can identify people who have cases and then aggressive public health follow-up. So when people have tuberculosis or measles, we actually identify the case. We don't shut down the city. We identify the case and we send out a team to find out who all did you come in contact with and isolate those people. We need testing and we need aggressive case follow-up. So I am hopeful that within about the course of two months, um, really a month to get over this peak and start to see things come back down, and then a transition period of maybe another month, we can start to reopen the economy again. That is my best hope right now. But again, it all depends on whether people actually stay at home and flatten the curve and slow the spread so that we can get to the other side as quickly as possible. I will pick you up at the airport, sir, but you have to buy the first round. All right, I will, I will, and I got to give a shout out to my people at Fox Garden. That's my favorite neighborhood place in Fishers. If you haven't been, you got to go when they reopen. They make uh, a great Jake, steak Jake too. Burgess and the team are going to be very happy uh, that Fox oh, yeah. Garden. Jake and Toby are my boys. They, oh well, I, I did not know you had boys. The things we learn uh, here, sir. <laughs> the Surgeon General Jerome Adams. I appreciate you taking the time. I hope you'll join us uh, in a couple of weeks with an update, sir. Thank you, Indiana. Stay safe. Love you all. And uh, again, please stay at home right now. It's the most important thing you can do. Love each other. Look out for one another and uh, just try to stay healthy while you're socially uh, uh, disconnected.